Hey, if you think you might be lost because you got lots of your thoughts, I'll be informed. Or if you're feeling like a fool, cause you've been used just like a tool since you were born. Hey, if you're trying to get through life, then friend, I've got some great advice for not growing horns. They say that ignorance is bliss, but if you knew, then you'd be pissed, so get informed. Imagine if you're all of your skin just... That's how it feels sometimes. Why would you start recording then, Colin? That was so rude. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I wanted to be recording during the fall off your own bones bit because that was simply too, too good not to miss. Uh. Because I am an ignoramus at best, uh, I missed that. So. Alas. Do we want to dive right in or? No. Um, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> so. Should I be here? I don't. It has it has been like a month since we last uh, recorded this godforsaken podcast. Mm. Um, this godcast, and if you we will. have now burned through all of our backlog of episodes. So this is appearing <laughs> next Monday, which Ooh. will be Monday the fourth of April, which will be exactly one month from the last time we recorded. I think. Today is the 1st of April, which means in the last episode, remember how we warned you about how devastating March would be? Well, now you get to hear about how devastating March was. <laughs> oh no, how um, long is the news segment going to be it's called? It's going to be a little long. Um, I will pause for reactions, and I will also pause uh, to let Shane cut it in half so that we can start the two episodes that this recording session will be turned into. Each will start with a news segment so that that way the audience doesn't get slapped absolutely in the dick with a uh, 40-minute news segment. Um, I will try and keep it the length of the last news segment, which, um, Al, if you wouldn't mind setting a timer, this is going to be uh, at breakneck speed for our guests. Where is my phone? Oh, my god! Speaking gosh. of our guests, would you please introduce ourselves? We have one repeat guest here today and one brand new bestie. Who, who do we have Ooh, sitting in this? I'll open it up because yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm the old hack here. Um, <laughs> joining you is the one and only Anna McGarry of Anna McGarry Knows Everything And fame. she does. You you know me from, uh, what's that book we read? The Make, Making Sense of the Alt-Right. Yeah. It's really a notes. godforsaken text. Yeah, yeah. And with me, Sarah Linares of Everyone Knows But Her. Not an auditory venture. <laughs> a literary one, if you will. <laughs> and we will. I won't. It is not. Um, yeah. Is there a place I can consume your literary venture? You can Google Google it, dumbass. And the link is in my bio on Instagram. And okay. I like tweet about it sometimes. So if you see like And what is that Instagram? And what is that Twitter? It is uh, Sarah L6 and the Twitter is Sweet Space. It is indeed. There you go. <laughs> All right. If we haven't said it yet, welcome back to Getting Informed, a leftist literature podcast. We forgot oh, I didn't to know it was starting. <laughs> it isn't starting. Like, uh, it just it's a all of a we're not starting, and then it started, and I was like, oh, <laughs> it was just a shift in tone. No official announcement. <laughs> no, no, that's how we do things around here. It's all about the shift in tone. Um, Constant shift in tone. It's chaos hours. 
Uh, I try and keep things as chaotic as possible. It's kind of fun. I appreciate it if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, I got to keep my guests on their toes, which is to say uh, (laughs) I want them to have no idea what's going on at any given time. And Colin, that's a promise I can make of you for you. you. I want it to be, let's right off the top. I listened to the audiobook version of this at 1.25 times speed. So did I. Yes. In the past, like, three days, mainly between the hours of 4 and 5 a.m. on my way to work. Jesus Christ. So, is the retention there? Who knows? We'll see. I just spent, like, 20 minutes on Wikipedia, though, and I feel like I am starting to understand some stuff. Wikipedia El Salvador. Yes. Oh, my God. This content, Colin, you pick something that is so close to my heart in a way that I did not know, and I was shocked. (laughs) Sarah, I am so excited for you to pop the fuck off in this Zoom call. I don't, but we'll get there. It's just Sarah, knowing what we all know, everyone in this Zoom call knows about you, you will pop the fuck off at some point in this conversation. (laughs) I can't wait to get it all on. Halfway keep for you. We'll see. All right. Um, Wikipedia tab within reach for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got all my news tabs open. Don't you worry about that. Uh, oh, in personal news, the reason that uh, we ain't been recording in the last four weeks is because I done moved across the country like a fucking dumbass. <laughs> Woo! I was going to be uh, so excited, and then you said that. That's yeah. why it's real I'm echoey in here, is because I don't have any furniture. I know that vibe. No, I do. I have I have my twin bed that people make fun of me for, and I have um, my plastic boxes full of clothes, my crates. The question is, what color are your bed sheets, Colin? Um, they're uh, blood red, and so are my curtains. Why? All right. If they're not navy blue, it's fine. <laughs> no one right. knows the "don't fuck with navy blue bed sheets" boys joke. Okay, got it. Oh no, I know. Ah, oh, glad. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, fair warning: this news segment is not arranged chronologically. Okay, I am starting. <laughs> and there aren't dates attached to anything. Ten minutes or fifteen minutes, Colin. How nice mm, do you think I should be to you? How fast do you think I can go? I think you can do it in twelve. All right, let's get it. Okay, five, four, three, two, one. (laughs) Trigger warning for the news section because we discuss horrible, horrible things that happened in March. Okay, so two weeks ago, uh, the Portland Police Bureau illegally kettled four square blocks. Uh, Roughly 200 protesters forced them to remove their masks and took photos of them holding their IDs. This is illegal and the ACLU has already sued, but the Portland Police Bureau said that uh, it needed to happen for some reason. Also, Tevis is backing them up. Uh, what's next on our list? Um, oh yeah, uh, um, another uh, Chud convoy threatened the Portland, uh, the, the Oregon State Capitol. They had a big car convoy, or they threatened to, because none of them showed up. Uh, between 100 and 200 Aww, anti-fascists. What went on for the Chuds? Right, uh, they lost their nerve after over 100 Black Block Antifa showed up outside of uh, the Portland's. Uh, the, fuck me, uh, the Oregon State Capitol. This is what happens when I have to move quickly. Uh, the Oregon State Capitol, and then um, men. Many, many, many state troopers and Salem, Oregon riot police were deployed. Uh, A chud did pull a handgun um, and was immediately arrested, which is the first time I've seen uh, the Oregon police anywhere arrest chuds for threatening someone with a firearm. Progress. There have been mass shootings all over the country. I think there were three in the last two weeks, um, including the really devastating one uh, in 
Georgia, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Asian hate, uh, hate crimes against Asian Americans have been on a steady increase and uh, firearm sales are at their highest point in the last two years, even higher than during the election. Oh, that's an ouchie for me. The plus side to this is that for one of the first times in American history, we are seeing minority groups arming themselves in incredibly high numbers, especially Asian Americans, because the narrative has finally shifted and it has become a mainstream idea that maybe the police don't exist to protect marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, 114 people were killed by police in Myanmar last, uh, last Saturday. Speaking as of, the military point. coup uh, continues. Um, it's the same military coup as last time, except the police have started using even more live rounds on protesters. Protesters have been building enormous barricades in the streets, hurling Molotov cocktails at the police, and the police return fire. And by return fire, I do mean all of this violence is police initiated. Protests like this don't, like, protesters almost never initiate violence. Like, there is a term for this, and it is called a police riot. And that is what is happening in Myanmar and has been for the past several months. Enormous protests have also racked Haiti. I have heard about these. And police have cracked down really hard on those as well. Uh, Protests in France have popped the fuck off as well, uh, where French farmers uh, protesting... Oh, fuck. I see this is what happens when uh, Colin... uh, ha ha no, oh god damn it, that's a different news story. Um, French farmers protesting something uh, 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 drove their tractors into Paris, dumping uh, thousands of pounds of animal excrement onto police officers. That's hot. Um, were they yeah. mad things were locking down again? Because I know no. people are going up there. Is it unrelated to that? It's unrelated to that. It's, oh, um, it might be no a gas lot. crisis thing. I mean, no, like, I remember uh, like the last yellow time. Vest. Um, well, I remember a lot of farmers. A swift were Google by. will reveal the truth. Yeah. Um, I mean, they were just being good farmers and providing the pigs with some shit to roll in. They should be grateful. Oh, fertilizer oh, tax. There was a fertilizer tax. <laughs> oh, fertilizer tax. Then perfect. We there was a fertilizer tax, in. and so they dumped animal shit, i.e., fertilizer, on cops. Do you think that's going to happen when the New York City gym tax goes into effect? Yeah, except they're going to come and take a piss on us. Also, <laughs> um, uh, Steven Crowder got his uh, YouTube channel suspended, Lamau. Um, Finally. Lamau. Forever or just for a little bit? I think for a little bit. It's probably not for forever because no. YouTube calls no. them a Nazi. Yeah. Uh, Echo Park, an enormous uh, unhoused community in Los Angeles, was besieged by the LAPD um, for the past week. Uh, they gave the houseless people in the community only about four hours, if I'm not mistaken, to evacuate, and then retroactively claimed that they'd given them a much longer time. Yeah. Uh, they uh, set up a, an enormous chain link fence around the park from the research that I've done overnight. Yeah. So they told uh, that they didn't tell anybody. They put up flyers. I think it was originally supposed to happen later. And then they saw there was a lot of public pressure and they're like, shoot, we got to do it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so essentially what started to happen was 
uh, LAPD officers wielding 12-gauge shotguns filled with what are known as super socks, which is uh, just a bag filled with lead pellets. Uh, it's, it's a less lethal munition, but not at six feet. Yeah. Less lethal doesn't sound right. You know, well, I mean, a taser is less lethal. You can die from having a taser. It's like when they were like rubber bullets. And then I was like, oh, no, those will still those kill will get you. you. <laughs> Especially, again, at where the LAPD was aiming them, yeah. which was point blank fucking range. Uh, so as per usual, the LAPD is behaving, uh, shall we say, badly. You got and, six minutes, Colin. Okay, uh, Joe Biden announced a new infrastructure plan and uh, the Portland uh, NAACP is um, uh, just start. uh, They just released a statement against Ted Wheeler because Ted Wheeler is refunding the Portland Police Bureau with another two million dollars already reneging on the cuts they made in August and the additional cuts that they tried to make in September or November, but then failed. Well, okay, so the, the, the PPB has a budget of about $225 million, which is pretty small for a police bureau, um, no. especially one for a major city. Uh, and they got cut, I think, by about 10 to $15 million oh, oh, last so summer. And then a city council member who ran on cutting the PPB's budget voted against cutting the PPB's budget last after time. the election. You love to see it. Uh, and because they were going to cut it by another $10 million. They were they were only going to cut the budget by like six percent and they and they chickened out and now they're slowly starting to creep the budget back up and just hope no one will notice. Yeah. <laughs> that's I think U.S. policy, baby. They do yeah. a lot of things, and they're like, "No, it's paying attention. It's fine." It's or like, fine. I feel like so many times we see politicians and they're outspoken about something, and then their voting record is the exact opposite. And you're like, "Honey, you thought we wouldn't look it up?" And, and they did. Boy, are we going to talk about that with today's book? Hello, everybody. My name is Allison Groby, and I'm one of your co-hosts on this podcast. My other co-host so conveniently forgot to say our names. I'm Colin Orton. And I'm in a vast, empty, echoey space. Let's get to, let's manufacture some consent, baby. Like the whole thing's happening out of order. And I feel uh, like no, Nomers, chomers, I don't know so what I read anymore. I can't talk about it. I'm sorry. Sarah, the Wikipedia's right here. They can't hurt us. We got them. <laughs> you can't take my knowledge away. Not yet. <laughs> Girl, one time on this podcast, I said that elephants worship the moon. You, it just your brain goes weird places when you talk I for this long. I don't think I'm there yet, Al. I don't think I'm there yet, but I will let you know when I do get there. Stay on for a couple of months, see how you to feel. Use, to use the Catholic Church's argument, can you disprove? Can you disprove? <laughs> wow. All right, wow. today. <laughs> so sorry. Today on Getting Informed, <laughs> we are beginning a new book. We are reading uh, Manufacturing Consent, written by Noam Chomsky and one other dude whose name I forget. Uh, uh, Edward S. Herman. Hermie. Thank you very much. And we're beginning with the first two chapters. Um, I would like to begin with the introduction, please. Oh, God, the two-hour-long oh, introduction. I read the introduction. No one asked you to. Not a single one of us. I, I know. But I don't know if I. I, all I skipped I got it. Was there, okay. there are problems, it. and he gave a lot of examples, and I was like, oh. I am not familiar with all these examples. The introduction the goes fucking hard. Um, not gonna lie. 
Uh, there's some really good quotes. Uh, first, uh, they predict targeted ads in this book. <laughs> oh, no, no. Um, which is really Don't funny because... Uh, it's targeted ads, man. Because they're everywhere. Because they exist. You Google something once and then you get an email about it and then it's in your Instagram and you're like, oh my gosh. So this book was written in 1988. Yeah. And they predicted targeted ads. Um, first they actually foremost. like loosely predict a lot of things. Although like he I said, the introduction might have been written later. Uh, but my reading comprehension is so ass that um, I skimmed the preface, which is separate from the introduction. So you can go ahead and do have fun. Be free. Okay. Um, Rome. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, with a new introduction by the authors. Okay. So the introduction was was written in like the 2000s, I think. Yeah. And, it, and that adds some really interesting stuff because they talk a lot about how uh, the internet has changed how news operates. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember that. I read that. I remember part of it. I remember, I remember it. being in the train station. Oh, shit. Okay, hang on. <laughs> That's what I remember. Yeah, they were like, only the mass media can really mobilize the internet because they get to the numbers, but all you little mm-hmm. independent people don't get to do anything. <laughs> and when you're the mass media, you need, like, a lot of people, most people are reading your stuff for free, so you make all your money on ads. Advertising. And you have to appeal to the and advertisers. It, it just further compounds. anything controversial. Yeah. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, and I quote, the internet is not a means of communication for those lacking brand names. Yeah, that's a good one. I, um, this awful thing where he lists that the, there are only like five companies and all the stuff they own. And I was like, no! I kind of like cry a little on the inside. <laughs> and what's funny about that is that the antitrust legislation passed in the 1890s doesn't actually ban that. No, it's not about the monopoly. It's about the shady means that the monopolies to, at that time used. Mm. Why did I think we ever had actual like anti-monopoly laws in this country? What? Um, because I feel like that was told to me that monopolies are bad. And then I looked around and I was like, but everywhere. And we don't stop it. And like one of the first things you're taught about economics is that we banned monopolies. We didn't. Well, if monopolies were so bad, surely uh, the free market would simply make them obsolete. You're right, Colin. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah, for for engaging with me in the free market of ideas. (laughs) Anyway, finally, a real libertarian on this show. <laughs> anyway, how do you feel about age of consent laws? Um, okay, I want to no, make no <laughs> back to the book. I want to make perfectly so manufacturing our consent. Yeah, mm. <laughs> I want to make perfectly clear just like what this book is about first, because we have yet to like give the thesis uh-huh. statement for the book. That title can mean a lot of things. Yeah, <laughs> it's like what the. Energy in this Zoom call right now. Colin, put those away. He's got batons. Okay. Um, the basic thesis of the book is that media in America, not just news media, but oh, most media, movies, television, follow a propaganda model, which means that they are all under the jurisdiction and influence of different dominant private interests that sort of abuse its influence to further their own means, which sounds like something most leftists are like, yeah. I know, <laughs> but he, yeah. right? He really lays it out and gets mm. like into the specific ways that this is like actually functioning. Like in the first chapter, I know we'll get to it, but like the five filters. editorial filters. It's like a system. He has it all laid out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he also and is just a vague emphasizing that this isn't technically coerced. 
like all this like censorship and pitching stuff a certain way and journalists might not necessarily know they're doing it because that is just the way things work in this and, country. And some journalists, as he says, might even be excellent journalists and be operating, you know, in ways that they think are good, but simply these, uh, these, it is essentially the Overton window. These limits into what you can talk about mm-hmm. are so inherently baked in that people just sort of naturally adapt their behavior to fall within the parameters set before them because they know that, you know, if you write certain articles, they will never see the light of day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you might even get called up to talk to the big man upstairs. God. Yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> Yahweh. Well, first thoughts. your boss and then God, because your boss is second to God. <laughs> of course. <laughs> this is capitalism. Second. Uh, I, I have a certain golden bull I'd like to talk to you about. Um, <laughs> and also, like, if you are working for, like, one of the five news companies and you look around and you're like, oh, no one else is reporting on this big, on this story that I thought might be big. So I guess it's not big because yeah. everyone is just mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has to do a lot with I guess not. It reminds me of media reliant, the third filter and the fourth and fifth filters sort of. Uh, But I'm just going to run down the filters and then we can begin with chapter one and just define them each slowly, I guess, if that sounds cool. The first filter is like basically monopoly of all mass media networks. The quote I picked for it was just the size, concentrated ownership, owner wealth and profit orientation of the news media. They're controlled by so few companies. Second filter, advertising as the primary source of income. Third filter, media reliance on information provided by agents of power. Um, that one. Famously trustworthy. I mean, right? The first thing I thought of at step three, which we have sub-commentary for all of these, but step three is especially bad with the Georgia shooter and news, mm-hmm. news articles uncritically just copying verbatim from police press releases. Yeah. It's disastrous almost. Like it's embarrassing at this point where you're like, you're really printing that. You're, you're literally just taking what the cops tell you at face value. In this day and age. And it's not a good headline. It's bad. No. It was just having a bad day, guys. I'm going to scream. Uh, uh, for, and this one really interested me in a modern context, especially, but we can get to that. Uh, flack as a means of disciplining the media. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand what flack was at not first. Until I was like, a while I later. I know what's going on. <laughs> but, like, for now, I just want to put out there, it's like canceling. Like, but it's yeah. funded, like highly yeah, funded. It, like, they're harassing them, basically. It, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, like, yeah. we saw... Yeah. You know, we see flack constantly, but we see... On a minor level. But we see a lot of reverse flack. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. recently, flack has been weaponized in both directions. H. Bomber Guy did a great video about this, yes. how um, some companies have been using political controversy and, like, people's outrage as free advertising. Like when Nike chose Colin Kaepernick as their uh, new spokesman, and the right wing started burning Nike shoes. That was uh, a childish, ineffectual attempt at flack. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we do see like effectual attempts at flack as well. And I do want to talk more about that because I think it's super interesting. 
Uh, oh yeah, we do see effectual attempts at flak. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it's I when my my first instinct was thinking of you know the flak we see today from the other direction that you were speaking of. So I was like, how really effectual can this be in terms of a filtering mechanism? But oh boy. Well, uh, and we see a lot of bottom up flak, mm-hmm. which is not super effective because Chuck from Iowa doesn't have a lot of say over what happens at CNN. No. Or at Nike. We're really rooting for him, though. He'll but, turn around one day. Hope he gets there. <laughs> but top-down flak is very effective. Mm-hmm. And then fifth filter, anti-communism. Ugh, oh, that was <laughs> that was my favorite. Uh, I mean, the one that I understood the most because I was like, yes, this exists. Like, obviously, this is something that is just so known. Like, well, yeah, uh-huh. and I mean, it's so deeply ingrained in our society. And written in 1980. Yeah, 88. And I mean, the anti-communism has weakened a little bit in the last decade, but like the reason that we still have in God we trust on everything is because the Soviet Union was actively atheist. So when did we put that in everything? The 50s. I know it wasn't the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. We started stamping in God we trust on money and government buildings. For for the explicit reason that the Soviets didn't. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Why were we so obsessed with them? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. It's not like I like you or anything. We couldn't even build our own brand. We're just copying. (laughs) <laughs> well, we couldn't. Our whole brand was that we weren't the Soviet Union. I, it's, honestly, it is honestly a little bit embarrassing because in retrospect, we're like, okay, you weren't solving your problems. You were just focusing on other things. Well, that's, that's... That's just America, though. Well, how we solve our problems is by endlessly propagandizing around them and uh, flacking anyone who uh, says that we have problems. <laughs> All right. So these are the five filters. And if we want, we can now like just start diving into each one. If anyone has certain examples they want to talk about. Uh, I, I have a couple of other, um, I have a couple of other quotes from the introduction, if you don't mind. Oh, I'm so, I'm sorry. I, I'm on my train. No, no, the train is, the train is important forward. because uh, we rely on the train to prevent <laughs> me from steamrolling us in what seem like random directions. So. But hit me with that introduction. <laughs> Uh, I also have a fun fact about our last reading um, that I think Anna and Sarah would be interested in. So our last reading was uh, Mutual Aid by uh, Pyotr Kropotkin, uh, which is a foundational anarchist text. And it was so beloved um, that uh, the the, uh, prominent anarchist uh, and uh, warlord Nestor Makhno, who uh, was instrumental in winning the communist revolution in Russia, uh, never left home without a copy of the book on his person. Uh, so he would like the man was like he would carry a saber and a handgun and a copy of Mutual Aid. How big is this book? It was like four hundred pages. Not nothing. It's not a pocket dictionary. Yeah, it's that's not, not a little. No. no Listen, the Bible's pretty long too. People still carry them around. Weeks. That's my <laughs> Bible. Copy, at least. Mm, paperback. Um, he also, that was the book he was sent to prison for because it was illegal in his hometown. <laughs> and so um, when the cops busted up his book club and one of his friends got killed, uh, it was over like <laughs> reading Kropotkin. Uh-huh. So yeah. bear in mind that uh, I learned recently that the texts we're reading on this podcast were illegal at various points in history. 
Colin, if you work really hard, one day someone will get killed in this book club. No. <laughs> Statistically, it's going to be me. <laughs> I'm not trying to die today. And it's going to be you. And I'm not saying you're the ringleader, but... Oh, no, it's going to be you. If anything, Al's the ringleader. <laughs> you cannot pin this on me. It's coming to you now, Anna. <laughs> If I had known a summer ago that when my friend Colin approached me and said, hey, you want to do a podcast, that it would lead to my eventual death at the hands of the United States government. During a Zoom call, if that. During a Zoom call. <laughs> During a Zoom call. They're kicking in the door. like They're there right now. Oh, they just killed my boyfriend. He's dead on the floor. Oh. <laughs> An actor prepares, truly. Um, okay. <laughs> First um, filter. So, uh, wait, I still have my quotes. I have oh, to weed. Yeah. Wait, I'm going to make a beeping sound. Everyone, I apologize. Okay. It's done. Okay, so <clears throat> the reason I've been making uh, such a uh, big deal about free markets is because of this quote from the introduction. And I quote, regardless of evidence, markets are assumed to be benevolent and even democratic. Market populism and non-market mechanisms are suspect. Although exceptions are allowed when private firms need subsidies, bailouts, or government help doing business abroad. The Mm. rise of advertising, this is a separate quote, has created the displacement of a public sphere by a depoliticized consumer culture. And it has had the effect of creating a world of virtual communities created by advertisers and based on demographics and taste differences of consumers. Political apathy is helpful to the status quo. Mm -hmm. The public is not sovereign over the media. And uh, entertainment not only has the merit of being better suited to helping sell goods than advertising, it is also an effective vehicle for hidden ideological messages. Mm -hmm. I really like the introduction because the introduction essentially goes into, so what are the results of the propaganda model? What is the rhetoric that the propaganda model is selling you? And uh, they even talk about like what mechanisms does the propaganda take? And one of the examples they give is the use of the word genocide versus the use of the word repression. Because in states sympathetic to the United States, a regime can be oppressive, but never genocidal. While in hostile states, it is always genocidal. Yeah. Because us, as the United States, we'd never make a bad judgment call. No. We would Ever. never. We're on the right side of everything. Even when we backed uh, Pol Pot in Cambodia, nah. he no. was described as repressive, but better than the communists. That's not a very high bar for Despite America. the fact that he kind of billed himself as a communist. <laughs> <laughs> After the fact, once, like, really everyone was like, wait, this guy's really bad. After he was, like, dead or out of power, the United States was like, yeah, 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 we've been saying that. To this day, um, in the introduction, it talked a lot about how many major news sources never issued retractions for misinformation they released during the Vietnam War. There was, at one point during this book, I don't remember what he was referring to, but he was saying, I think, like, the New York Times or something had put out, like, not necessarily false information, but a really, like short a not great view of it an uncritical thing and then when further information came out 
he was like, and readers of the Times would never know that because they never followed up. <laughs> they <laughs> talked about it once and then moved on. Oh, the New York <laughs> Times is famous for warmongering. Like, I think one of the big uh, manufacturing consent things that happened when we were all about six years old, uh, no, we were three, uh, was, um, it was the, uh, the weapons of mass destruction narrative. Oh, yeah. That was consent manufacturing at its fucking finest, was the government lie repeated completely uncritically over and over. Can I ask a basic stupid question? Sure. Why is it called manufacturing consent? Because a government rules by the consent of the governed. I, this is my assumption. We haven't actually gotten there yet. That's so, I was thinking basically the same thing. But like, So in a democracy, the government rules by the consent of the governed, right? But so if that you, works because we as the people are like, yeah, yeah, our government. And basically yeah, yeah, our yeah, media yeah. is telling us our government is good and working for us. So we're manufacturing the consent. So, real consent. so the, the system that exists, which are not technically government organizations, it's more free than, say, a state-owned government. But again, it's not necessarily the state that is even manufacturing consent. It is corporate interests invested in maintaining the status quo being the state state, manufacture the consent of the governed via media then legitimize the state yeah no yeah because i was thinking that too like i finished like the introduction the two chapters and i was like wait what does this title even mean and getting down that to that i was like oh that's a really clear i feel like the more i read about the book the more i came to understood really what the overarching idea was but it was very difficult to place especially with all the specific examples in the beginning where i was like what are you talking about what is the relevance this book came out in 88 so the example like everything he's talking about in chapter the chapters one and two i was not alive and, and apparently the media wasn't reporting on it well. I think, well, and, and I think happy. that's why the introduction is like, usually I am an introduction skimmer or skipper. And by sheer chance, I happen to read this one and this one slaps because, <laughs> because all of the problems that we had in 1988 have only gotten worse. Yeah. Well, with, the, <laughs> with uh, how, how, increasingly fascist our government has become and the further centralization of corporate assets and media assets Mm -hmm. because like as the internet as the internet grew Mm -hmm. local papers and publications shrunk even fucking more yeah because he makes the point to be like look this wasn't great before but now we've condensed even further like our and it's even worse yeah 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 which ties in perfectly to the first filter. All right, thank you, Al. Yeah, I'm gonna shut the fuck up now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't shut the fuck up because as usual, I wanna hear everyone's thoughts on this. The first filter, which basically describes the monopoly of mass media networks, uh, discusses several different points in which just by the sheer fact that all power is concentrated, like you said, in these top five corporate interests, corporate owners, it is impossible for smaller stations to join the market, basically. Not on a brick and mortar level, not on a level with any kind of notability. And just the, the making, I have a quote here, media stocks are market favorites. Just making news media and news time a commodity 
like putting your name on the news, it already starts to cloud the intentions and the purity of the news source because now you have to maintain a relationship with shareholders. Yeah, is news really free if it has to make money? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. I think he very clearly says that's not true. Something mm. I liked about like these five filters that he lays out is that they all very clearly build on top of one another. And like it reminded me of reading and listening along to the Earth Rashism episodes where it's clearly like, here's one thing. Because then like talking about this, I also want to just talk about how you need advertising because it's like all connected. Well, oh, yeah. Yeah. Go for it. No, go ahead. Oh, um, like advertising, uh, he points out, became a really big factor in the late 19th century, in the 1800s, when papers that took advertising dollars could simply sell their own papers at a loss and recuperate that money with ad revenue and just price out papers that didn't take ads. And so in like a review video of everything. Cause I was just trying to make sure I knew what the hell was going on. Uh, the quote was something along, along the lines of uh, the public will never pay the, the actual price of what like this journalism and media costs to produce. Therefore we have to rely on ads. And I'm like, there has to be a better way. Why would we not pay for that? Why is that the assumption? Because it's fucking expensive. It's it's really expensive. Like, are you going to subscribe to all the newspapers and all the everything? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't have the money. The sad thing here is that, like, supporting it. I feel like in an ideal world, like, all news should be free, freely accessible to everyone. So it then it would have to be state subsidized. I know, but then where do come from? The state. And I don't trust the state to do that. (laughs) Because we have to say... Mm-hmm. And of course, we're seeing a sort of workaround with that now with the Patreon model of gonzo journalism, yeah. where independent journalists have Patreons, where you literally, you don't fund them by article, you fund their life, and then they produce media that is less biased? That you at least know is coming from this one source that is... Yeah, that you at least know is separate from that particular consent manufacturing machine. Mm -hmm. Because it's just one person who is getting money from people who pay for the stuff that they already produce. That being said, you can get kicked off of Patreon. Really? Um, that's a a technique the Proud Boys have been leveling against, uh, a lot of, uh, gonzo journalists because the Proud Boys hate nothing more than independent journalists because independent journalists make them look really, really bad. Well, they don't make them look really bad. They just look really bad. They look, they look fucking awful, but (laughs) a lot of, a lot of major media tends to portray them in sort of vaguely positive light. Yeah. Mm. Because kind of both sides. Yeah, they're like, yeah. they're people too. White and people so, are upset also. And we need to listen. And you're oh. like, not to these ones. Lend to ear, okay? <laughs> There's good people on both sides. There's good people on both sides. Oh, um, and so uh, <laughs> um, the Proud Boys have leveled targeted harassment campaigns against certain gonzo journalists basically saying like their content is sexually explicit it's hate speech it's uh, and then if they get enough complaints patreon will automatically ban somebody and then do a review because it's safer to automatically ban Uh, and then do a review afterwards to see if your ban was justified 
And so the way the way that you can go after those journalists is by attacking the platform that allows uh-huh. that structure. Wow. And when we say journalists, we are talking about the Muppet, correct? Of course. Correct. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, and that is an example of flack. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, wow, dude. that was beautiful. Oh, Thank yeah. you. Wow, it's. I feel like I'm. It's seeing a lesson plan at work. I feel there like no you just said plan. this thing that he's doing, which is that this all. <laughs> no, it's it all. Is. It's all. You can't. I like, as soon as you hard. get into one, you move on to the other. Exactly. All about it is you don't have time to process. When I'm I can't it. focus on one at a time. Yeah. So can I just say? Um, because I keep hearing it from each of our Zoom windows independently, that after moving to New York, it is fucking alarming being constantly reminded that we live in a police state. <laughs> just always hearing a little distant, like, whoop, whoop. We, we just had our second like, there. Oh, I had, one, I had one at the beginning of the call. Ad, Al had one earlier. Like, you can't record in New York City without, like, a distant siren because you know, you can't go 25 minutes in the city without being reminded, hi, there are 36,000 gun-wielding Republicans. Um, In terms of the first filter, I just wanted two more points to bring up. No, please, God. (laughs) In terms of, I love the EMT conversation, don't get me wrong. I actually (laughs) do find it very fascinating. But um, it relates to this, actually, because uh, if you can't afford to open a small news station, I just want to talk about, he because this was written in 88, so he was talking primarily about brick and mortar stuff. And I just want to point out that the level of expense it costs to run a brick and mortar news station on page four, he discusses how expensive it became starting from 1837 in, I believe, London to open new newspaper places. Mm -hmm. At first, it was under a thousand pounds. 30 years later, by 1867, it was 50,000 pounds. And by 1918, it was well over two. Two million pounds to circulate a newspaper, and that's still like old money. Like yeah, yeah, money. two million pounds in eighteen fifties money. <laughs> Nineteen eighteen, but like still, oh, <sighs> fuck. <laughs> big difference. And I in World like, War One money. Yeah, but there is so, no such thing as like a small like news organization mm-hmm. because it costs so much fucking money. Like you can't have anything small. So it needs to be like big enough. That you have all these like big boy money people mm-hmm. and of, getting you off the ground. And of course, what that means is that all major media skews, right? Because left-wing media generally scares advertisers mm-hmm. because advertisers care exclusively about one thing. Sex. So, oh. Yes, correct, Anna. Very good. Um, And then, uh, you know, uh, generally, big businesses are not fans of socialists or anything further left than that. Yeah. Does anything have a challenge? Which is, you know, in theory, what journalism, what good journalism is doing. Challenging, asking the questions, which which scale we. So. Mm -hmm. And not only are they, like, politically 
politically and socially pressured not to cover certain topics. But as this first filter relates into the third filter with sourcing of news, we see that smaller stations literally cannot collect news except from larger stations in a lot of cases because of the cost of time and money it takes to put people into the field to actually gather news. A a great example of um, this and of another filter is John Oliver. Uh, An incredible investigative journalist. Uh, And he, but their, their show did uh, a thing, a story years ago about how most local news channels are owned by one company, Mm -hmm. exclusively one company. And it is a deeply conservative company. Um, And that is because a big company can afford to pay you to dig around in your own community and see what Chuck in Idaho is up to. But like, what? Are you just going to do that by yourself? No. Another example of the great filter, the great filter um, of just a filter uh, is the fact that John Oliver is, I think, the most anti-capitalist, like big news show I can think of. And he never actually critiques capitalism. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if I want to agree with your statement, but then yeah. I, think, I feel like so it's what we all have. his subtext and like how he's covering his... He's, he's allowed to do it subtextually, but he's never actually allowed to say capitalism is the... He's allowed to address symptoms of the problem. Yeah, yeah. but at the end of the day... But he, he can is, never address because... He is Mr. HBO. He is Mr. HBO and HBO is owned by one of the large, it's owned by fucking American telephone and telegraph AT&T. Like, I don't like just, that the title of the company. I don't like Why that Why is either. it so fucking stupid? Like, cause old, you, like we need to, if it's only, there's only going to be five. The names need to be really cool. That's the all I have to say. The only good thing is that when I updated my phone, they gave me HBO for free. That's the only good thing about this <laughs> is that now I can watch John Oliver because of this fucking problem. <laughs> Capitalism gave me HBO. It did give me HBO, and now I'm rich. Sorry. Hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm moving on up. <laughs> oh, class trader. <laughs> but this does relate strongly. Let's. Why don't we like meld into the second point? Because now that we're talking about John Oliver, HBO advertising, second filter, mm-hmm. and just like I want to mention a simple statement that he made that like kind of shook me and made me reconsider the problem and just like one word was I'm going to pull up the quote it's on 16 uh I can't find it so I'll give you a synopsis he was basically saying instead of advertisers picking the programs that they support based on their needs based on what the company wants to support it's the other way around and news networks have to apply for the support of advertisers which seems like a reversal of what the roles should be yeah it was really, really weird to me. And I think I wrote down when I was reading it, I was like, why does this remind me of the royal family? I don't know if you guys watched that interview. <laughs> I said it reminds me of YouTubers. And I was like, oh my God, it's like the same weird symbiotic relationship where they like really can't exist without each other. And it's sickening in a way. Don't forget to drop a like and subscribe. Really helps that sponsorship <laughs> money. Yeah. I, I'm so I love that you said that because I just watched a critique of the royal family's like whole the way that they do their videos. 
Oh my gosh, are you talking about the actual royal family? The royal families here. I was talking about the royal family on YouTube. It's a family blogger. They make a lot of money off clout. <laughs> okay, well, I can guarantee that they're problematic. I literally meant the institution of the British monarchy, the imperialists themselves, but we all probably know that. Why don't you go into that? Because I kind of steamrolled over that with what I thought you were talking about, because that sounds interesting. <laughs> they have, like, essentially, when I, <laughs> this is like a silly thing to say now, but they, no. they had the, the media, the Daily Mail and, like, all those tabs type of magazines they come into the palace and they throw parties for these people so that they'll keep saying good things about them in the news and they have there's no so the tabloids mainly report on the royal family in britain right that's majority of their coverage and then the royal family makes sure to support the tabloids enough and like give them some news so they're they are represented well well enough because they know they are growing less relevant yeah. every, every like year. Relevant. Because if they're not in everyone's faces all the time, then like, okay, you don't matter. And then they don't have a job. And if everyone's really shit-talking them and really questioning why do we still have a monarchy, then they're fucked. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that just sort of reminded me of this business between yeah. like, the advertisers and the stations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's who wants to run any program at all <laughs> like absolutely like i'd be interested to see if anti-monarchism as an ideology is on the rise in the uk because that'd be interesting to like put up against the numbers of how often they invite tabloid people over for these parties yeah because that is a higher agency plying for an advertiser yeah. in a different sort of way Ooh, spooky it was spooky <laughs> We were watching the Oprah interview, and we were like, "What the hell?" <laughs> and just to see it correlate so like succinctly with something going on in our country, I'm like, "Okay, so we all have the same problem. It's just packaged in multiple different ways. Like we're all just being positive." It's almost like the problem is imperialism and capitalism. You know, it's almost like that. But I'd like you to stop right there, Colin. No more thoughts for today. Yeah, sounds fake. 